Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So yesterday we told you there was a second trove of classified documents in Biden's possession. But at that point, we hadn't learned the location or the nature of the documents. We subsequently learned the location yesterday. And um, the operative three words that uh, are being used to explain to the country what has occurred here. Seriously. Inadvertently and transparency. So why don't we take those in turn? He takes classified documents seriously, takes classified information seriously. That's what Mr. 10 percent, the big guy, President Biden, has said. That's what his spokeshuman KJP has said from the podium over the last couple of days. Uh-huh. Takes them seriously. Uh, this is the president yesterday talking about the classified documents that were found in his home by his attorneys. Classified material next to your Corvette? What were you thinking? Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. But anyway, yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, But uh, as I said earlier this week, people know... I take classified documents and classified material seriously. Clearly. I mean, that that uh, vintage vet is his prized possession. If it's secure enough for his vintage vet, then it's clearly secure enough for our nation's secrets. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Seriously, inadvertently, and transparency. Mm-hmm. That's their defense strategy. Uh, the We have been transparent about this from the outset. This is KJP uh, providing the explanation of just exactly how they have. I want to say that we have been transparent here. Uh, that is why the minute that his lawyers found those documents, uh, they reported it. They reached out to the archives and the Department of Justice, and they did that voluntarily. Uh, and they were not compelled to do it. They did it voluntarily. Now, I want to step back a little bit as you're asking me about the timeline. Look, the lawyer said we have been working closely with the Department of Justice and coordinating a search that was still ongoing uh, to ensure any additional documents were in the proper possession of the government. After that search, uh, after the search concluded last night, uh, we released a statement disclosing the facts from that search, as you all know, this morning. Uh, this is all part of the Justice Department process. 
this, and you heard the Attorney General speak to this today. Uh, so we are being very careful to be uh, fully cooperative with the Department of Justice and providing details as appropriate as part of that process. So why did you fully describe the documents when we were firstly asked this, this week? Because, and I, and I actually answered that question. I said because there was a process uh, happening that was currently ongoing. And, uh, and I'll refer you back to my comments that I made. Yeah, they're being fully transparent. Um, right. Clearly not with the American people. The full transparency would be notification publicly of what you had discovered privately and explaining in real time what processes you were undertaking to rectify the situation. So the first trove of documents that's discovered six days before the November election, we didn't know about. And then this the, one just discovered December 22nd, but we just found out about it. Yeah, and yet, and on Wednesday, yeah. again, in the interest of transparency, and I, oh, yeah. I, I suggested this, we, we, we talked about this, when she was asked about uh, auditing the documents. Are there any documents anywhere else? So she clearly knew that there were and they were soon to be disclosed and this is what she said has there been any kind of like audit that's been done of uh where where he may where there may be others that he doesn't know about i'm just not going to speak to this i'm going to uh let the process continue it's an ongoing process and so i'm just not going to uh to speak to this from here it is more prudent and more appropriate for my colleagues at the white house council yeah, oh, she, okay. she was clearly apprised, and the White House counsel, uh, maybe it was on advice of counsel, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was a political advice in counsel. Regardless, they collectively chose not to disclose that there were more documents coming. And why were the documents separated out? Why, why was what next was Corvette, one in his closet, then they found another classified document in another office in his Delaware home? Seriously, Ugh. inadvertently, and transparency. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You could also text us at six four six three six. Type in DA. Then a quick comment. Right. Um, transparent. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, the inadvertently um, repeatedly said that the president inadvertently uh, left, removed documents to his home the garage, the library, ultimately to his phony think tank at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Jonathan Turley last night addressed the inadvertence claim that is being invoked by the White House. The most interesting aspect about today is that the White House repeated almost mantra like this inadvertence defense. I mean, they have really latched onto this and said this was an inadvertent mis misplacement of these documents. The problem is that the facts don't really support that because we, we the assumption is that all of these documents were taken from the executive branch when Biden left as vice president. That's in 2017. We know that the Penn Biden office didn't even open until 2018. So we know that some of these documents were moved at least uh, twice. Uh, but the other interesting thing is that they were not just distributed to different points, they were also divided, right? You've had got one document that was found in the library, others in the garage. So the question is, why were these documents sent and used in different places? It suggests that they were, you know, knowingly divided. And 
and that's going to be a question that the special counsel is going to have to look at. We know the president was working on a book that dealt with Ukraine and some of these other subject matters. So if the president actually saw these documents, it'd be hard to miss that they're classified because they reportedly had TSSCI classification markings. I've worked with classified material for uh, decades, and I can tell you it's pretty darn hard to miss that. Uh, so if he did work off these documents, inadvertence goes right out the window, uh, and it looks more like an effort to deceive the public. You know, the White, the White House spokes, uh, the White House press secretary said this was inadvertently misplaced. Well, it had to be repeatedly inadvertently misplaced. And that becomes more difficult the more times you inadvertently <laughs> misplace something. Yeah. You know, it's the old, uh, hey, the guy fell on a knife. He fell on a knife five, six, seven times. You just kept falling on the same knife. They, yeah. These documents just kept being inadvertently misplaced by um, supernatural forces. Nobody did it intentionally. Uh, nobody, there's no responsible party. They just kept moving around from the from the White House to the Biden house to the phony think tank. To the garage, yeah. Next to his muscle Corvette. I mean, this uh, is anybody else. I just think, and I said this I think on Tuesday, I think they're doing this to get him out of office. They need something, because the Hunter Biden laptop isn't enough. They need something more to get somebody else to run for president in 2024. Well, speaking of Hunter Biden, uh, a yeah, good piece by Phil Wegman um, and makes the obvious point. But it's uh, one to be made regardless. Phil Wegman from RealClearPolitics.com, who's part of the White House press corps, he had some questions for KJP yesterday. That uh, Hunter Biden had access to that garage. Oh, that's and right. We're, and the reporting from the first trove of documents is that they, some, in, at least some, involved Ukraine. And Hunter Biden was on the board of Burisma. Uh, so, you know, this is why... Uh, uh, Peter Ducey from Fox asked KJP about a visitor's log to the family compound of Biden, Inc., and uh, this is what he got in return. When will the White House release a log of visitors to the Wilmington House? You know, um, Peter, you've asked this question, or as your colleagues mm -hmm. have asked this question before. Let's not forget uh, what we did here in this White House. We instituted something that the last administration got rid of, which is putting out the White House, uh, putting, uh, making sure that there was a White House log, extensive White House log. So the American I mean, people the got to see, house where again, there is potentially again, unsecured well, classified I, material. Again, I am telling you, we did something that the last administration got rid of, which is instituting the White House logs. Uh, did you ask the last administration why they got rid of the White House logs? Okay, let's go. Let's go. Well, did Fox did? Go ahead. Go ahead. So there you go, um, non-answer to that question, you know, in the interest of transparency. I mean, the oddity is that we have a former White House occupant and the guy who's presently at the White House both being investigated at the same time. Well, there's special counsels now appointed to investigate yep. both. Philip Durr from Maryland has been tapped by Merrick Garland to keep up appearances and investigate Biden. But we know... Because you know, for media Louse coverage, we also know, just generally speaking, these are two completely different cases. Yep. They have nothing in common. The reason is very simple. One involves Trump and the other does not. And that makes them completely different and they're to be held to completely different legal standards. Well, I feel better with Trump because at least Trump had Secret Service 
with him, and it was in a secured location with a camera pointed at it. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer. On AM 560, the Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. news insight into what it means and the sharpest opinion there's only one station in chicago where you can turn and it's this one we're am 560 the answer top of the morning dan and amy talking about uh mr 10 percent the big guy president biden and his spokeswoman kjp this great karnak the magnificent routine <laughs> they've been doing uh seriously inadvertently, inadvertently transparently yeah. and then you blow up on the envelope and it's how I keep my vintage vet as well as the nation's secrets in mint condition. That's the argument that's being laid out. And he was so cocky and arrogant when he talked about it, too. Like, you know, don't you know I have a vintage Corvette? I was on uh, Jay Leno with it. Um, let's uh, talk a bit about the media coverage of this because uh, they're doing a good job yesterday of trying to keep up appearances of uh, even-handedness and um, general inquisitiveness with respect to the handling of classified information from this president after spending the run-up to the November 8th election uh, in hysterics over the handling of classified information by the former president. Just a reminder of a little bit of what that reporting sounded like when the matter related to former President Trump. The seriousness of the potential threat to national security information, I, I just don't know what to say. If he was in possession of classified documents, those are by definition potentially harmful to our national security. These are really classified and, and a really a threat to national security. That really jumps out to me as a national security threat. This is a national security crisis. The extreme risk that Trump was willing to take with our national security. That's right. Michael Beschloss, who was my selection for most idiotic quote of the year last year in his description of what could transpire on November 8th if Republicans took both chambers, which was an authoritarian regime, your children being imprisoned and then killed. Oh, that's right. I remember. Uh, that. He tweeted out in response to the contretemps over President Trump's handling of classified documents. The Rosenbergs were convicted for giving U.S. nuclear secrets to Moscow and were executed in June of 1953, uh, intimating that because the reporting was some of the documents in Trump's possession had to do with the nuclear program, that he would possibly be eligible for not just prosecution, but execution. So that, that gives you a little bit of a 
tenor sense of the tenor of the reporting on President Trump. And now yesterday you have uh, all of these reporters uh, getting uppity with spokeshuman KJP. Why? Because they're good reporters that are going wherever the facts lead and they want to make sure the same standard they apply to President Trump is applied to President Biden. Oh, isn't no, that don't. cute? Yeah. <laughs> no, they're doing it, number one, because they have to keep up the facade so they can utter that statement that I just made without laughing. And number two, they're embarrassed. You're supposed, you know, when you're the comm shop of the Democrat Socialist Party, as the D.C. press corps is, you're supposed to be apprised of those things. You're supposed to be brought along. You know, keep us in the loop so we can run proper interference so we can produce proper spin but when we get caught flat-footed then worse than you looking like a bunch of arses we look like a bunch of arses and we don't like that 312-642-5600 turnkey.pro answer line 64636 type in da then a quick comment and merrick garland i mean he's backed into a corner to assign a special prosecutor which he did because john lausch announced yesterday that he's retiring, going to go into the private sector. And so this Phil Durr is taking charge. And here's Merrick Garland. The extraordinary circumstances here require the appointment of a special counsel for this matter. That office was not authorized for storage of classified documents. The home garage isn't? But the vet's in there. If it's good enough for the vintage vet. So Merrick (laughs) Garland is portraying a serious law enforcement official. Oh, yeah, he looked very serious yesterday. Everybody has to play their role. So everybody's going to play their role to keep up appearances, to keep up this facade that the Justice Department, the FBI, the D.C. press corps are not hopelessly politicized and completely in the tank for the left because they are. But we're going to keep up appearances. If we can at least fool half the people, then maybe we can all hold on to our phony baloney jobs in 24 the way that so many unfortunately did in 22. We can perpetrate another fraud. Maybe with the help of, you know, bending an election law here or there as well. Yeah, You're, we're we're supposed to buy this the so seriousness of the approach being taken by the media or by Merrick Garland's Justice Department. That's the that's the story you're giving us. And who wants to read a book on Ukraine anyway? I mean, some of the documents they said were intelligence from the UK, Ukraine, and Iran. Okay. Uh, One other thing I have to get to, and then we'll take your calls. Mm -hmm. Because just when you think that an institution like the D.C. Press Corps is the biggest clown operation in town, (laughs) you still have Congress. You still have Congress. And you still have congressmen. Like George's Hank Johnson. Oh, I, I, I can't believe he still has his job. To offer this perspective. But I'm suspicious of the timing of it. I'm, I'm also aware of the fact that things can be planted on people. P- places and things can be planted. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> things, things can be planted in places. Yes, um, places and, and planting. And discovered pl- planting in places. Gonna tip over. That may be what has occurred here. I'm not ruling Whoa. that out. But I don't. I'm. I'm open in terms of the investigation needs to be investigated. You know oh, what I think here. Yes. You know what. What happened here? 
Trump planted these documents at Biden's phony think tank in his garage in the library. This this all this is part of a a Trump uh, false flag operation, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, I, look, yeah. I don't know that. Like Hank Johnson, I'm just suggesting it's possible, and there needs to be an investigation to see if that's in, in fact true. My theory is in fact true. Planting of classified documents. That's the Hank Johnson defense. I, I, it's possible Mark Furman is involved. Oh, that's... I don't know. And where's O.J. Simpson? Um, and, of course, uh, mainly I play Hank Johnson uh, so that we can offer the first installment of Hank Johnson's instant classics since he has been in Congress. This is a, uh island <laughs> that Never gets at its widest level is what 12 miles from shore to shore and at its smallest level uh, or, or smallest uh, uh, location it's uh, seven miles uh, between one shore and the other is that correct I don't have the exact uh, dimensions but uh, to your point sir I think Guam is a small island. Very small at... island and about 24 miles, if I recall, long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 20, 24 miles so, long, about seven miles latitude? wide at yeah. the least yeah. widest yeah. Uh, place on the island and about 20, about 12 miles wide mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, on the widest part of the island. And... Um, I don't know how many square miles yeah. that that is. Do you that. happen to know? I don't have that uh, figure with me, sir. I can certainly supply it to you if you'd like. Yeah, my my fear is that uh, the whole island will uh, become so overly populated that it will tip over and uh, and capsize. Uh, we don't anticipate that. The best part of that is uh, the commander of our Pacific fleet at the time, Robert Willard, saying in response to something so inane, we don't anticipate Guam tipping over if we station more Marines on the island, because I understand that it doesn't just float around the water, that it's and, a landmass. But anyway. And people reelected him anyway. Of course they did. Hey. Of course they did, because he gets to the bottom of things. He asks the questions people are afraid to ask, like, will Guam tip over? Or was this these classified documents, were they planted on President, <laughs> President Biden's place? <laughs> Asking the questions people are afraid to ask, Hank Johnson. Now there's a dogged fact finder. Jordan in Forest Park, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who keeps papers in their garage? Mm, now, me. I keep papers in my garage. It's just, it's the recycle bin. It's the recycle bin. So ask half the press half the press ask the president, do you keep your tax returns in the garage next to your uh, nice shiny, uh, beautiful uh, '67 vet? Uh, thanks for the call, Jordan. Uh, they're in the library too. I mean, it's sort and of like one one document was in his office. Sort of game of Clue here. Uh, okay. Colonel Mustard is in the library. Uh, Vince and Crete, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. With the wrench. Hey, hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. I can't believe you guys are missing the real important point of this whole story. Uh-huh. And that's yeah. what, what is the carbon footprint of Joe Biden's Corvette? <laughs> exactly. 
That's a great point. Uh, it's not an EV. It, yeah. When is he going to get it retrofitted to be an EV? The 60, what's it, 67 Stingray or something? Yeah. I just wish it was red so we could play the song Little Red Corvette by Prince. Who paid for that, by the way? Oh, I don't know. Biden Inc. Is that is is that that is that a Biden Inc. company car? Can you write that off, Mike in Plano? Hey Amy, you mentioned the difference between Trump and Biden is that Trump made you feel better by having his record stored in a secure facility in Mar-a-Lago. Well, that's not the main difference, Amy. The difference is that Trump was president, had the authority to classify and declassify. Yep. Biden was vice president and didn't have the authority. That's why what happened to Trump was a charade and why what Biden did was a felony. I sure hope you understand that. No, but, I do. Uh, I'm just saying that what, the documents were separated out in different places, so he knew exactly what he was doing. I don't, I'm don't. i not buying any of this bull jive that it was inadvertently misplaced. And you're right. I mean, he, what what Biden did was a heck of a lot worse than what Trump did. Although we still— and I don't even still, think what we, Trump did was wrong. We still need an answer to questions about what he declassified or didn't declassify when he did it and so on and so forth. I'm talking about Trump, but— yeah, that's uh, Biden has that's, no power to declassify. That is a distinction. The, the more important question is: Mike. Are, are we going to see, are we going to see Biden and Trump in a jail cell together or on a debate stage together? That's a great. It's very much an open Dan. question now. No, it's true. I mean, never before in our country's history has the former person in the White House and the current person in the White House been under investigation. We call those persons presidents. What we call yeah. them presidents. Yeah. I'm just saying it's, you know. What, what, if, what, if they, what if we split the difference and they do their debates from jail? That'd be great. What about cage match? Because you like, always like, say two enter, one leaves. Like Johnny, Johnny, like Johnny Cash at uh, Leavenworth or something. <laughs> uh, uh, clown world we're living in. Whew. Marvin in Burlington. Good morning. You know, I think it's sort of the shiny object that everybody's uh, looking at, the the classified documents here, there, and everywhere. And so we don't focus our attention on the real uh, issue is all the money's changing hands between the Chinese Communist Party, Chinese Communist uh, financial interests, uh, the the Penn uh, University, uh, and the, the kickbacks uh, to the Biden uh, uh, household. And those are the really interesting questions to me is who's Who's taking money? Where is that money? Who's recording any of that money? Uh, that That's the, the the heart of the matter. Has Joe Biden actually sold out the United States to China? I think we all know the answer, and I think that's why uh, a lot of this attention is being focused on these documents. Well, the so document, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a fair, that's, that's a good question, Marvin. Thanks for the call. But the documents, if you have a, a um, conscientious special counsel, which I think you do here, the documents should lead you to those questions and potentially those answers, depending on their contents and their usage and by whom they were used or reviewed. Um, you know, that the documents are sort of source material upon which to build a case to ask those questions if they prompt those questions and to answer them or to you know seek answers to them based on that evidence. And so I, I think it'll be very interesting if you get uh, a real investigation. And, and here's the key, you can have a special counsel do this work, all the due diligence that he wants to do, greenlighted by Merrick Garland, whether it's Jack Smith or this uh, Durr guy from Maryland, the competing special counsels. But ultimately, it's Merrick Garland's call. Don't forget that. 
it still all levels back up to Merrick Garland. So he's got to figure a way out of this corner he's painted himself in. New Trier's finest. Jimmy on the Kennedy. Yeah, I think people are getting focused on the numbers, this and that. But if, if you listen to it, they have China. Maybe those documents relate to China, some secret agreements that Joe and Hunter have for their payoffs and how to uh, funnel the money. You have Ukraine. Maybe it's uh, information on Burismo, how they're going to cut things up, divide the money, and send the money. And you have UK. That's interesting. Wasn't about the same time that the rush to collusion that Joe Biden uh, set in motion on that office with uh, the Michael Flynn and Obama and Susan Rice. Yeah, but, but, so I, but yeah. I, what do these documents pertain? What are they? Are are they just um, green energy, or are they specific to countries and deals? That's what are the documents related to? Well, according what to NBC and Fox, the documents it, the documents that were found at his think tank pertain to the UK, Iran, and Ukraine. Right, but we don't know the, those details. We don't know if that reporting is accurate. We don't know about the second trove of documents. Certainly, uh, you know, I, I doubt any cl- materials are would that would be kept uh, would indicate would would be so obvious in indicating illicit activity. But the mm. the bigger question is uh, sort of what uh, Ducey was getting to when he asked about the visitor logs to Wil- Wilmington was somebody who is not authorized to access classified information using classified information in furtherance of their business interests, like Hunter in Ukraine, for example. Those are questions that hopefully will be asked and answered. John in Crown Point. Hi, Dan and Amy. Love your show. Love Amy Moore. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, with Trump, they knew he had the documents, so they wanted them back. But with Biden, did they know he had the documents out? And also, too, who found them? Like, a maid in the garage, or well, were they the, looking for? Well, his yeah. attorneys found thanks, the first batch. Thanks, John. Yeah, but the, that's not the question. The question is, why were they looking for the documents? And NBC's uh, Kristen Welker amazingly actually asked that question, and this is the response you get from KJP. Um, and he's said this before, classified documents uh, and information. He takes that very seriously. And you see... The garage is an appropriate place to store classified I'm, I'm not going to go into, uh, in, into, into what he thinks or how he... What sparked this? A- again, I'm just not going to go into details from here. I'm not going to go into specifics from here. Uh, this, is undergoing, un, un, uh, this review is continuing, is ongoing. Uh, I would refer you to Department of Justice. Right. What sparked this? We're not going to tell you. And I made we made a council available. They've given lengthy statements. Right. But they won't tell you why they were looking for documents uh, at his phony think tank, why they were looking for documents in his home. And he's had had them for six years. There had to be an animating event. And we don't know what that is. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. 
I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I hate to be fatalistic about institutions, particularly institutions charged with upholding the rule of law. But you have to be realistic, too, don't you? And so uh, as we're talking about the relative handling of a president who allegedly mishandled classified information vis-a-vis the the raid on Mar-a-Lago versus the kit gloves that are being provided Joe Biden and company. Why wasn't the media tipped off when they went and explored his Delaware home like they were for Trump? Right. After months of uh, non-disclosure, including another pre-election non-disclosure from the Biden family, uh, you know, perhaps in cooperation with some in the media, perhaps not. Either way, uh, let's just start with Biden, Inc. and the Department of Justice and the FBI. But it's not just on this matter, of course, we know. And I just want to sort of reset the table on some other issues so we don't forget about them in the hope that maybe if enough pressure is brought, enough continued focus on some of these other matters is offered, that uh, you will get something approximating accountability, even begrudgingly. And that's not good enough, but I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to make some decisions. We as a free society are going to have to make some decisions about what we want from our political leadership and how we want our government structured and what powers we want entrusted and to whom we want them entrusted. And so I go back to this. When the Dobbs decision was leaked last year. Yep. Never find out who that leaker was? That's still pending. Mm-hmm. And and Justice John Roberts said, we'll, we'll handle it internally. We don't need the FBI. Okay, well, where are we at with identifying that person and offering some accountability from the highest court in the land? Nowhere. Well, we don't know where we are because there's been no update though uh, as to where we are if anywhere and the fbi in the wake of that decision was charged with investigating acts of domestic terrorism although they didn't call them that 78 pro-life pregnancy centers were attacked including the firebombing of a 
a pro-life center in Buffalo that injured two firefighters. The FBI, after more than six months, has arrested actually zero individuals, those responsible for death threats or actual physical violence, zero. 78 attacks. Wow. Had that, be, had that been 78 attacks on black churches or, or Jewish Panthers. synagogues or Democrat uh, Congress people's offices? Or Planned Parenthoods. Even or one Planned attack would be leading the news. Zero. So much so that now a uh, pro-life uh, operator, operator of pro-life uh, pregnancy centers, Compass Care, is hiring their own private detectives, is working with the Thomas More Society to hire those private investigators to find out who attacked their their offices, also offering, uh, also uh, allowing themselves to collect the FBI's $25,000 reward. That's the only thing the FBI seems to have done. Let's throw a reward out there so that we can at least indicate that we're, we attempted to do something. But that's not their priority. Attacks on American citizens, depending on who the attacker might be and who the victims are, are a high priority or a low priority. Or no priority, it <laughs> sounds like. Mm-hmm. Arson, I mean, come on, you could figure that out. There's got to be surveillance cameras, guys, come on. Accountability. I mean, that's really what this all boils down to. Do we have individuals in the upper reaches of government who believe they're accountable to the people who put them there, believe they're accountable to the laws that govern our country? And, uh, you know, the uh, initial returns are not very good, are they? Uh, Matt Taibbi released Twitter files installment number 14, The Russiagate Lies. For example, here, and again, considering how the FBI, possibly the CIA, was involved in this, you had the upper echelon of the Democrat Socialist Party involved in this from the get-go, because, of course, it was Camp Clinton and Mark Elias that were responsible for concocting the Steele dossier, which allowed uh, Jim Comey to get all go all get all sorts of FISA warrants, FISA warrants to improperly surveil the Trump campaign, and then it just continued on after he was elected. I mean, I don't need to restate all the details. You get the gist of it. I mean, this is the 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 talking about the lead law enforcement intel agencies in the country, talking about the President of the United States, duly elected. Taibbi reports, at a crucial moment in a years-long furor, Democrats denounced a report about flaws in the Trump-Russia investigation, saying it was boosted by Russian bots and Russian trolls. Twitter officials were aghast, finding no evidence of Russian influence. Quoting from a document from Twitter officials, we are feeding congressional trolls, talking about Adam Schiff and company. Not any significant activity connected to Russia. Not any significant activity connected to Russia. Putting the cart before the horse, assuming this is propaganda slash bots. 
Twitter warned politicians and media they not only lacked evidence, but they had, Twitter had evidence the accounts were not Russian. That was roundly ignored. On January 18th of 2018, Republican Devin Nunez submitted a classified memo to the House Intel Committee detailing abuses by the FBI in obtaining FISA surveillance authority against Trump-connected figures, including the role played by the Steele dossier I just mentioned. The Nunez assertions, as you might remember, would be virtually, uh, virtually all of them were verified in a report by DOJ Inspector General Michael Horowitz. Nonetheless, national media in January and early February of 2018 denounced the Nunez report, calling it a joke. And by the way, they all reading from the same playbook, they all literally use the same language. Uh, January 23rd of 2018, DiFi and Schiff published an open letter saying the hashtag, quote, gained the immediate attention and assistance of social media accounts linked to Russian influence operations. Feinstein and Schiff said the Nunez memo distorts classified information, although they didn't call it correct. Blumenthal from Connecticut followed suit. We find it reprehensible that Russian agents have so eagerly manipulated innocent Americans. Feinstein, Schiff, Blumenthal, and the media all pointed to the same source. A dashboard created by former by a former FBI counter-intel official named Clint Watts. The dashboard, which featured a crude picture of Vlad Putin deviously blowing evil red Twitter birds into the atmosphere, was vague in how it reached its conclusions. Inside Twitter, executives panned Watts, this former FBI counter-intel official, and the dashboard he created. But that was the only, the only source that everyone was using. The Democrats preening before the cameras, like Schiff and Blumenthal and many others, and the media reporting on them. The global policy comm chief for Twitter. I encourage you to be skeptical of Hamilton 68, which was the dashboard. The Hamilton 68 take on this, which as far as I can tell, is the only source for these stories. Mm-hmm. And it goes on from there. The smearing of Devin Nunez, even though his report was backed up by the inspector general of the Department of Justice, who actually seemed to be an independent guy, at least during the Trump years. He was also critical of the conduct of Comey and McCabe, although that went nowhere. All of this, all of this fraud maybe it was just ends up just being political fraud by the politicians but it's something more serious when law enforcement throws in now twitter is not the hero in this story because of course these are all internal communications that we only know about thanks to elon musk it's not like there were twitter whistleblowers who came forward when adam schiff was a omnipresent on the cable news channels spinning all sorts of yarns and telling us for Literally years on end, the smoking gun would be delivered at some point in the not-too-distant future. Never was, because there never was one. Nobody came forward to Twitter. It was all internal. Because why? They didn't, they didn't want to be a party to the fraud, some of these executives at Twitter. They certainly weren't going to cross their fellow travelers in Congress, because they were otherwise happy to do the bidding on, in so many other instances as 
has also been documented by the Twitter files. That's what's complicated about it. Everybody has a little bit different uh, appetite for this sort of political skullduggery, even at a place like Twitter under the great stewardship of Jack Dorsey. But just, uh, just basic accountability all this talk about threats to our democracy and the truth and and, you know, mandatory courses on media literacy. So young people can distinguish disinformation from the truth in this age of disinformation to the extent that we're living in an age of disinformation. It's almost all perpetrated. By the arbiters of disinformation. The institutions in D.C., the fourth estate. And all those other institutions that are controlled by their fellow travelers who take their cues from the fourth estate and these law enforcement agencies and intel agencies, because we're supposed to have, you know, so right, this, uh, this is not a uh, new insight here, but the irony of all of these baby boomer flower children uh, being useful idiots of the FBI and CIA because they like that John Brennan is a communist and was the former head of the CIA and they like who the target some of the targets were of the FBI and so everything goes now and then you see the just how far the situation has devolved when you have these companion cases of Trump's handling of classified information followed a few months later by Biden's handling of uh, classified information. And you can understand why people can't make heads or tails of it, throw their hands up in the air and say the hell with it. The whole thing is rotten to the core, which is what people are doing. And again, the left is much more animated than the center right when it comes to pursuit of state power. And so this chaos that reigns that sensible people find so distasteful ironically benefits the perpetrators of the chaos because reasonable people withdraw from the arena and they continue unapologetically to advance on our rights and the sort of underlying foundation of this free society of the American experiment I mean, there's the silliness, and it's mildly entertaining for a moment, and then you have to contemplate the seriousness that's belied by the silliness. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, consumer price index rose 6.5% in December. It's year over year. In 2022, we had the first six months where price increases, inflation increased. And the last six months, inflation decreased. The uh, average CPI for 2022 was 8.1%. So uh, now prices are stabilizing down, but the question is, at what level do prices stabilize in 2023 and 2024? 
4%, 5%. We still have a real Fed funds rate that's negative. So Fed policy remains highly stimulative. And Powell, the mystic who heads the Fed, has said the Fed will continue to move in a restrictive direction. So where does this go? By the way, um, that's looking at the overall. But um, those of you who go to grocery stores, I'm not one of them. Uh, I am. Uh, food, uh, the CPI for food at home, uh, it's down, but it's still at 11.3% year over year. You can't even find eggs. I tried to find eggs yesterday, and they're up 60% from what they were last year. You can even get your hands on some. Yeah, there's a whole uh, – that that's a specific good where there's a whole argument going on between the farmers and the grocery store chains. But um, the larger question of, uh, of uh, irrational exuberance about uh, a steady, albeit incremental, decline in inflation over the last six months. There's nothing to celebrate. I, I, guess how much – all right, I want you to answer this question. Family of four, we went to McDonald's. Nobody ordered anything extravagant. Guess how much it cost. Can you order anything extravagant at McDonald's? Well, you could, you know, add on a shake or a McFlurry or... Okay. 60 bucks. Well, Hot bellies, many? the four of us, $72. Well, I mean, that's a... I'm yeah. sorry. That's, that's, like, that's reality, folks. I've noticed uh, the price of my Chateaubriand has ticked up a bit, too, and I wasn't happy about that. Stop it. Uh, for more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Timothy Fitzgerald. He's a professor of business econ at Texas Tech, the Red Raiders, the um, home of, uh, or alma, not home of, alma mater of uh, 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 Pat, Pat Mahomes. Oh, that's In case right. you're thinking of uh, NFL The guy playoffs. we passed up on the draft. Yeah, okay. yeah we you know uh, that thought guy. Trubisky would Watson. work out better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah how'd that work out? Uh, he also served as the chief international economist at the White House Council of Econ Advisors in 17 and 18. Professor Fitzgerald, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy to be with you. So uh, what about uh, the stabilization of prices? Uh, we're seeing this uh, incremental decline that I described, but um, where does it stop? I, and I, I guess in part that's predicated on where does Jay Powell stop with moving in a restrictive direction? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think actually, you know, one of the things that I focus on is the, the fuels market. And one factor that has helped drive inflation has been oil prices. And yeah. oil prices exploded in 2022 in in part because of recovery uh, around the world, but also because of the war in Ukraine and geopolitical tension around that. And we had a, a period of very high uh, crude oil prices, which led to high prices at the pump for, for gasoline consumers. Fortunately, for the holidays, um, those consumers were able to enjoy a little bit of, of price break as we go into the holidays, and that's helping to take some of the momentum out of broader inflation measures across the economy. But the gas prices are back up. I mean, here in Chicago, is about two ninety nine before Christmas. And then after Christmas, we got back, and it's three seventy nine again. And I know they've added some state taxes that were due, but what what what's that about? Well, one of the key things to remember uh, in the oil market is that no consumers actually buy crude oil, right? Everybody needs gasoline or diesel or Refined. maybe even indirectly, yeah, you're going to consume heating oil or jet fuel or something like that. And so the refining capacity 
is crucial to understanding how the price at the pump is going to evolve. One of the really interesting things when you look at the refining sector is to notice the dramatic reduction in overall capacity for oil refining across the country over the last couple of years. And that's that and, and, yeah, but but I mean, and let's understand why that is because of course the president has explained it to us as have uh, many members of Congress, that's evil oil companies trying to artificially inflate the price of gasoline to uh, rapaciously fleece the American people so that they can uh, go to their golf clubs on their private jets, right? Well, you use more uh, adverbs than I do. It is clearly (laughs) the case that reducing the amount of available refining capacity is not going to help the consumer. And so, but, so but as what, what's, as, what's as, the... as we see refining as we see refineries close and not reopen, it just leaves consumers more and more at the sort of whim of the market. But in your estimation, why are oil companies making those decisions? Well, the yeah, it could cost money to run a refinery. Mm-hmm. And as oil companies earn profits, they invest, reinvest some of those profits back into updating and expanding refineries. Refining margins are getting pressed. Um, costs are going up. Uh, financing costs are going up. Other kinds of compliance costs are going up. And, and you know, politicians are talking about trying to seize windfall profits from the oil companies. All three of those factors together all point in the same direction less refining capacity, and more exposure of the consumer to volatility in the crude oil market being translated to volatility at the pump. And furthermore, what you were talking about before, with that then plays into inflation and just makes it harder to keep the cost of everything from, you know, eggs to soup to nuts uh, all, the way, all the way through the economy. It's going to depend on the price of fuel. When you make capital investments, you're looking long-term, particularly investments on that scale with respect to refining capacity. Is part of the explanation also the big three automakers in this country all moving in the direction of not producing gas-powered automobiles anymore? All, all the three big automakers here are talking about EVs in the near term for as far as the eye can see. Yeah, I think that's actually a big part of it. But it is important to remember that even if we get to a place where it's hard to buy a brand new internal combustion engine, uh, people are going to continue to buy and sell internal combustion powered vehicles in, in the secondary market. Uh, and, and so we're not going to be quote unquote off of oil in, you know, some short politically motivated horizon. This transition may take place. I mean, I th- we're, we're heading more and more in that direction. EVs are getting better, but they're still not a perfect solution for everyone. I mean, you all live in Chicago, right? You, you know that it gets cold there, and you know that the range anxiety for EVs goes way up when you got to run the heat in the car. Mm-hmm. And and more more even than that, think about how much it costs to buy a new EV. It's multiples of what it costs to buy a gas-powered car. And so the people who 
are able to afford the luxury of an EV can be insulated from gasoline prices, but regular people and working people are going to continue to be susceptible to uh, the variation in the oil and gasoline markets. That's the point that I think is, is really important because, as you point out, the oil companies are looking at the long-term demand and saying, well, maybe it is and maybe it isn't worth uh, making these kind of investments, particularly in an environment where it's a little bit harder to do so because of financing costs or, or other kinds of compliance costs for the refining industry. Yeah, and um, of course it uh, it uh, bedevils me to no end that you have <laughs> people who are working people who are uh, more impacted, subject to, negatively impacted by these policies, underwriting, you know, uh, five-figure subsidies for people to buy $90,000 EVs. Um, that, that reverse Robin Hood from all of those would-be Robin Hoods is uh, interesting to me as well. Um, if you could, if you could find me a five-figure EV, I'd be excited. I mean, they're, now they're up yeah, to right. six figures. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Fair, fair point. Um, one other thing too, the stopgap measure. Uh, well, that's what I'm terming it. You tell me if that's accurate. The stopgap measure by the Biden administration to go to Venezuela to get uh, oil supply to go to the Saudis and and beg OPEC for more production. This is a way to avoid having to encourage, incentivize, increase refining capacity here because we want to move in the direction of EVs. We want to move in the direction of the marginalization of fossil fuels. And so in the interim, we'll just go to, you know, theocracies and dictatorships in South America to get our oil supply. Yeah, but remember that that's buying crude oil. Okay, and so then we're going to bring that to the United States and try to refine it in our refining complex. We don't have the capacity to add more oil. It doesn't matter whether we buy the oil on the market, from, perhaps yeah. from places that we don't mm -hmm. don't share our values, or if we encourage more production at home. We're still going to hit that refining capacity constraint. Let me give you a really good example of that. In the summer, the administration was very concerned about how oil prices were high after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And so they tapped into a stockpile of crude oil that's called the Strategic Petroleum Reserve that is basically a, a buffer for oil markets. It turned out that as they released that oil from the, the reserve, they had to export the oil because there were no U.S. refiners who right. were able to uh, take on that extra capacity. And so it, 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 it doesn't matter whether that comes out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve or if we buy it from Venezuela or if we produce it ourselves here in Texas or, or in the Gulf or, or wherever in the United States without the entire supply chain for fuels from crude oil all the way to the to the gasoline pump, then we, we're not going to have the ability to actually help the end consumer, and we're going to lack the ability to control a key factor that's driving inflation across the entire economy. So should Americans expect the sort of volatility and then spike in prices that we saw last summer, again this summer and into the future until this capacity issue is resolved one way or the other? I think you would be naive to think that gasoline prices are going to remain low as we head deeper into 2023. And furthermore, if we don't do something about the refining capacity, I think we can expect 
these swings in gasoline prices uh, attributable to refining capacity constraints for the foreseeable future. I mean, we're we're probably at least decades away from really beginning to have an energy transition that's going to help the the average American. And and it's great that people who have four or five cars can have an EV parked in their driveway and, and feel good about it. But until the people who have to, to use a vehicle to get around can actually get to where they're not going to depend on having fuel in the tank uh, and, and have a, you know, a viable electric vehicle option, then I think you're going to look at uh, uh, continued swings in these gasoline prices that are attributable to the refining capacity that we're losing. Well, I mean, as, as long as Gavin Newsom feels good about himself, that's the important thing to me. Uh, Timothy Fitzgerald is professor of business econ at Texas Tech. He served as the chief international economist at the White House's Council of Econ Advisors in 17 and 18. Professor Fitzgerald, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Phil Wegman from RealClearPolitics.com, among those in the White House press corps, querying White House spokeshuman KJP yesterday about the uh, second trove of documents, which we knew had been discovered and reported, but as of yesterday's show, we didn't know where they were located or the nature of those documents. We know more after yesterday where it was disclosed the documents were in the big guy's garage, in the big guy's library. But look, if his garage is safe enough for his vintage vet, then it's safe enough for America's secrets. That's what I say. Classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Oh, I love it. Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Oh, okay, God. so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So the but anyway, was in a locked yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but uh, as Most I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. Obviously. Oh, I mean, you don't think he wants to protect his vet? Is that what you're saying? And the vet, by the way, was a wedding gift from his father, just so you know, it's a 67 Corvette. So touching. Um, who has. The remote controls to the, who has the garage door openers. Yeah, there you to go. The Biden. Um, all right. So here's Phil Wegman now with that disclosure, following up with KJP to understand a few things and and get, uh, you know, the typical and repetitive process arguments that KJP has been hiding behind for the last three days. The position of the White House that legally uh, the president could have just held on to these? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they did the right thing, period. I wouldn't read into it. I'm saying that they did the right thing and they did it voluntarily because it is the right thing to do when you uh, find these types of documents to indeed reach out to the archivist and reach out to the Department of Justice. So they, and, and outside of that, 
they have been cooperating very closely uh, with uh, cooperating very closely with the Department of Justice. It is the and rightfully so they did this. See, she said they the she said in the press conference. The lawyers did the right thing, and they didn't have to. Well, actually, they did have to. But then she said, well, don't worry about whether they had to or not. The important thing is that they did the right thing. Uh-huh. So then did the president do the wrong thing or whoever was responsible for moving classified information from the White House to his home to his phony think tank? Did they do the wrong thing? We don't know yet because there's a review going on, and she won't answer that question. Any idea how many people uh, had access to those documents? Does the administration have any idea between the garage and the Biden pen office um, just how many people could have gotten their hands on this? Or, you know, are we to assume that the White House <clears throat> doesn't have an estimate? That they There's an know? ongoing review on this, yeah, and I would refer review. to the Department of, of Justice. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's Tennessee a part, here, ongoing review. part of their commitment to transparency. Again, the watchword seriously, trans, uh, seriously, inadvertently, and transparently. Those are the... Uh, the three pillars of the Biden administration's handling of classified information. Uh, she was asked again about uh, Mr. Tempersant's statement the other day that um, he was told by lawyers not to ask about the documents, and then he sort of intimated the same thing yesterday when he said, uh, someday, God willing, someday soon, God willing, I'll be able to talk about this as if it depends on God rather than just your forthrightness. Uh, this is her response. The president has said that his lawyers have advised him not to ask what was in these classified documents. I don't understand the purpose of that. He's the president of the United States. He has because we're trying to documents. do this by the book. We're trying to do this oh, uh, in, in the appropriate way. Uh, and so that's what I would say to you. We have, uh, we have, his team has been uh, complying, right, uh, cooperating uh, with, uh, with the Department of Justice, and I will leave it there. I'm not well, going to go beyond. The book says that he can't look at this. What would compel him or push him in that direction? Because you've said it repeatedly. What, I guess, as he tries to do this by the book, as he tries to do the right thing, you know, what are his lawyers looking at? that says, yeah, don't look at this classified information that was found. Again, there's a process here. The process is that when the lawyers found that these documents existed, they reached out to uh, the archive and also the Department of Justice. That is the process, and they have been, uh, they have been cooperating uh, closely, working closely uh, with the Department of Justice. And now, as you've heard, the Attorney General made a, a statement today, and so I would refer you uh, to them. All right, everybody. Thank all you. Right. All, all right. That's a wrap. That's, yeah. that's all I can take for one day. So, again, um, uh, classified information was inadvertently moved around all over the place, from the White House to the House oh, to yeah. the phony think tank. That happened inadvertently. Uh, though, remember, he takes the handling of classified information very seriously, at least as seriously as keeping his vintage vet in mint condition. And um, uh, that was in it. So he's serious. It was inadvertent. And then this whole effort from the discovery of these documents, we don't know what prompted it, back pre-election, has been a, a exercise in transparency, even though we weren't told about it until this week, even though we weren't told about the second trove of documents that was discovered in December, even though earlier this week, Karine Jean-Pierre knew about the second trove of documents, but she played coy about it. Well, she lied. The, the, yeah. this is, these are all illustrations of the Biden administration's commitment to transparency. So again, they take it seriously. They've been transparent. And to the extent that anything inappropriate happened, it happened inadvertently by some people we don't know who. And he's had these documents for six years, folks. And there was also, besides the office and then his garage near the Corvette, 
one document was also found, quote, in stored materials in an adjacent room. Right. Where Cur- that, like, and I think Colonel Mustard was in that room. With the pipe uh, wrench. Kevin Brock, former assistant director of Intel for the FBI, former principal deputy director of the National Counterterrorism Center, joins us. Kevin, thanks for being with us again. Appreciate it. Hey, Dan and Amy. Uh, nice to be with you. I understand that the uh, Corvette is being polygraphed this morning uh, <laughs> to make sure that it didn't yeah. spread any of that uh, yeah. sensitive information. Yeah, It's interesting because, I mean, I, I think you're going to appreciate uh, this comparison you and Hank Johnson are right on the same wavelength. Representative Hank Johnson, who famously worried about Guam capsizing with too many Marines being deployed there, um, he has the same thing. You know, are we looking at everybody? You know, this is a great Law & Order episode. You're looking at Joe Biden. You're looking at his inner circle. What about the Corvette? What about a false flag operation? Listen, Kevin. But I'm suspicious of the go. timing of it. I'm, I'm also aware of the fact that Things can be planted on people. Places and things can be planted. Um, Things things can be planted in places. See, Kevin, uh, you may not understand this uh, as only a former assistant director (laughs) of Intel, a counterintelligence. So things can be planted at places. There are places where things can be planted and uh, could be Trump, could be Mark Furman. Could be, uh, you know, yeah. some sort of uh, a vast right wing conspiracy, false flag operation. I mean, we don't know. Well, thank you for comparing me to Hank Johnson. I, <laughs> yeah, I, thought, that. You'd, I thought you would. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that he's uh, Joe Biden has got a, a problem here. He effectively and others have said this, but it's, it's true. He's blown up any any chance of a case against Donald Trump by the Department of Justice. If they were think if they were thinking of charging Trump, I don't think they seriously were. But if they were, uh, that's gone away. Joe Biden could declassify those documents now that he's president. And he couldn't when he was vice president, but now he could. But he, how can he do that without exonerating uh, or uh, supporting Donald Trump's position uh, in his case? Look, um, the uh, the spokes. The press spokesperson for the president isn't entirely wrong. There is a process for reporting classified, mishandling of classified sure. information. It happens all the time, unfortunately, and the process is pretty benign. And, and uh, people are, you know, they understand that these things happen. Uh, but, but, and so that, you know, again gives rise to the question: Why was Donald Trump's house raided in an early morning search warrant? Right. Uh, when it was unnecessary to do so, and I maintain maintain that to this day. Um, but there's really there's two dynamics here, Dan. Is is that you've got you've got the mishandling of classified information, which the Republicans understandably are going to make. They're going to wring every bit of political hay they can out of out of that, uh, and they're doing so now. But it has also drawn attention to this Penn Biden Center that uh, was stood up after uh, Joe Biden left the vice presidency. They hired him, paid him nearly a million dollars over two years to be a, a, a once-in-a-while show-up professor. And uh, and during that time frame, the, the Chinese government donates about close to $50 million to the University of, of Pennsylvania. And, um, and then, you know, they decided early in 2022, 160 of their faculty decided to write an open letter complaining about the FBI's very successful China initiative, which is a counterintelligence program targeting hostile Chinese intelligence activities, targeting U- U.S. universities. They complain about it, saying that it's you know 
biased and, and racially profiling. And after posting <laughs> that letter, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I guess they suddenly realized that most Chinese citizens are are Asian. And uh, you know, how, <laughs> yeah. how did the uh, FBI miss that? Yeah, but yeah. Um, but it, so they they complain about this program that is materially impacting and and in affecting in a negative way Chinese intelligence operations in this country. And two weeks after complaining, uh, Biden's DOJ tells the FBI to shut down the program. Well, Fox and, and NBC... Oh, sorry, go on. I didn't mean to... No, no, go ahead. That, well, well, Fox and NBC say voice. the first trove of documents that were found in his locked office uh, in the closet there pertain to Ukraine, the UK, and Iran. Do you know any more right. about that? No, not more than uh, what's been publicized. Not much has been released on that. Obviously, Ukraine raises uh, the antenna a little bit because the you know his son had dealings with Ukraine, business dealings, uh, and Joe Biden was uh, supposedly on point in the Obama administration for for dealing with the Ukraine, which he did famously uh, by having one of their uh, prosecutors fired, <clears throat> a prosecutor who was looking into the activities of his son. Um, all of the all of this creates entanglements um, for the for Biden and his administration, and suddenly you start looking at the way the administration is handling China and some of the issues surrounding China, and realizing, wow, you know they're not being very aggressive against China in issues like uh, you know fentanyl delivery through the cartels, the COVID uh, or um, origination and spread, um, the fact that China is trying to build two ports in the Western Hemisphere under our nose that are military capable in El Salvador and Argentina, you know, with, without pushback, you know, whatever happened to the Monroe Doctrine, um, you, you start to wonder. And then and then they squash this this highly effective FBI counterintelligence program after uh, their their sponsor, the Penn, Biden, Biden Penn sponsor, complains. Um, and, and also on the, on the China piece, too, Tucker Carlson reported earlier this week, uh, emails from Hunter Biden's laptop that are publicly accessible. Uh, one of them is a professor at Penn inviting Hunter Biden's daughter at the uh, behest of some Chinese communist uh, higher up to attend a conference in Beijing as their guest. And so, yeah, these these entanglements between Biden, Inc. and Ukraine and China. And then we have classified information reportedly, at least about Ukraine. Who knows if there are documents that that uh, relate to China as well. And all this money is being funneled to where Joe Biden gets a gets a sinecure, an academic sinecure. Yeah, that does start to right. raise some questions. I hope uh, the uh, Department of Justice, that special counsel, will investigate pending his review of those documents. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, um, we will. But, but these are concerning, and, and you raise a good point there that uh, – you know they're they're bending over backwards to curry favor uh, with the Biden. So the 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 storage, the the casual and irresponsible storage of classified information at his home and at the Penn, at the Penn Biden Center becomes more intriguing once we know the nature of those documents and and was there information on those classified documents that helped support Hunter Biden's consulting arrangements that he had with entities in the Ukraine and in China. Uh, you know, were they kept on purpose, or were they, or was it truly an inadvertent uh, uh, storage? Uh, you know, there's no reason to bring classified document to 
to the Penn Biden Center. There's nothing they can do with it. They can't even talk about what's on the documents with people who are not cleared. So why have them there in the first place? Uh, and, why were the uh, documents separated out? You know, some over here in his office, some in the garage, one in another adjacent room to the garage. Yeah. The American people must be just totally aghast at, at what appears to be some very casual handling of very sensitive documents, one of which was an, uh, classified as SCI, Special Compartmented Information. Uh, to get that clearance, you have to go through a rigorous uh, counterintelligence polygraph, which I've been through. They're no fun. And um, so it is the, at the highest level of clearance. And to find that just, you know, <laughs> included with a bunch of documents at a, in a, a locked closet is breaks every every rule of storage there is. Well, and the other thing, too, is this whole uh, Biden has these documents at his home in his library, but he doesn't know what they are. And he's certainly and he's been advised by his attorneys to not ask about what they are. I mean, he acts like 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 uh, something he didn't know was there was discovered. Well, that's exactly what they're saying. They were inadvertently put there somehow by someone. And Biden doesn't know anything about them. That seems to me to strange the bound, strain the bounds of credulity as well. It does. Um I hope I hope he's right. There's he, he's in a difficult position to prove that position, and it's a and it's difficult to disprove it. Um, but the the merging of all of these uh, the confluence of of these factors, where you have an incredible amount of money given to the University of Pennsylvania at the same time that they've established this Penn Biden Center and hired him as a professor. Later, he becomes president. People complain about about a program that's hurting China, and it suddenly goes away uh, because the Biden administration makes it go away. Yeah, it just, it just smells. It just that's a problem. It just smells. And, and the other thing too is, um, who made the decision to take the documents in the first place? So Biden wasn't apprised of that. There were no discussions about we're going to take these uh, boxes of documents. They relate to these topic areas. He doesn't know anything about that. People just do things spontaneously around him that he doesn't know anything about, and he has other, other he doesn't have use for or he doesn't lack use for them they just happen well <laughs> in his favor is the fact that we watched him for two years be very confused over a lot of things <laughs> and uh yeah so it yeah. almost becomes believable yeah. right who was it gigante was that the uh, mob boss that uh, walked around manhattan in a robe to to try to convey that he was insane and so he, so he couldn't right. be held <laughs> legally culpable for what he did maybe that's what we're going to see next um, before we let you go, I wanted to attack a couple other topics, too, that are FBI-related. Sure. I hate to always uh-huh. you know, make you uh, defend the FBI, but um, the story out, and we, we can't forget about this. Last summer, after the Dobbs decision was leaked, there's 78 bombings to acts of vandalism against pro-life offices, pregnancy care centers around the country. And there have been zero arrests by the FBI. The uh, pro-life community is so unimpressed with the FBI's efforts here that they have hi- they're hi- in the process of hiring their own private investigators to try to identify parties that are responsible. And you know, so so if a crossword is said at a school board meeting, then Ray and Garland are scrambling choppers in amphibious vehicles. Uh, you have 78 acts of vandalism against groups that are affiliated with a particular policy position, and Nobody's interested. Um, I'm with you on this. I've, I've written about it. It's one of my soapboxes. This this speaks to 
the perception problem that the FBI has right now. You know, they'll send uh, a, a 20 armed agents in, in tactical gear to arrest a Catholic homeschool father who uh, was protesting outside a, uh, yeah. um, you know, a, an abortion facility uh, and got into a confrontation with one of the sports staff there. He gets the full treatment of a tactical arrest early in the morning, and you've got nearly 100 attacks on pro-life uh, pregnancy counseling centers and Catholic churches, vandalism, yeah. serious firebombings, that type of thing, and no arrests yet. Uh, the whole issue around Jane's revenge, which claims credit for many of these attacks, sets up beautifully for the FBI's wheelhouse. This is what the FBI does. They determine if there's an organized group out there, no matter how loosely organized group out there, you know, uh, creating or con um, conducting domestic terrorism against U.S. entities. That's what the FBI does. That's what they're good at. This sets up well. It shouldn't be hard for the FBI to determine who's behind James Revenge and start developing informants in that group, flipping people, and dismantling them under the RICO statutes of this country. The fact that it hasn't been done yet either indicates that these people are un uncannily good, more so than any other domestic terrorism group that's existed in this country, or it's just not getting the full force of attention that it could be. Now, it could be that the FBI is conducting investigations, bringing cases to the U.S. attorney's offices, and they're just not getting the attention they need out of the Department of Justice. We don't know yet. I hope that's the case. Uh, but, well, it's, uh, it's, it's I wouldn't be surprised. This is against the backdrop yesterday of 210 out of 211 House Democrats who voted against legislation that would mandate care for a child who is born alive. Uh, and survives Stunning. a botched yeah. abortion. So maybe that the perspective of that party on that issue is informing the perspective of DOJ and or FBI on the issue of violence directed at Catholic churches and pro-life organizations. Gee, I wonder. Right, and a similar number voted against a resolution to condemn the attacks on, on these uh, pregnancy counseling centers and, and the Catholic churches. So, you know, it's when you've got a, a whole political party in unified against anything that could uh, that they interpret as uh harming women's reproductive rights uh that's a big pressure and uh but you know the fbi traditionally has done the right thing and investigated crimes no matter who's behind it and i i hope i hope this results in the same outcome but we'll just, it's frustrating right now he is Kevin Brock, former assistant director of intelligence for the FBI, former principal deputy director of the National Counterterrorism Center as well. Kevin Brock, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Good talking to you guys. Yeah, thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Oh. Do we need more uh, women in public office? And, uh, and I say that just because they're women. Got an interesting local story out of Lake Forest. Oh, leafy Lake Forest. Ah, suburban enclave. Where your new next girlfriend lives. <laughs> yeah. Okay, take it easy. 
And I, for those who don't know this, uh, a listener yesterday suggested a gal pal for Dan, and she lives in Lake Forest. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we'll leave it there. Yeah. Don't, do, don't want to alienate listeners okay. more than I already do. Uh, You're good at it, though. Prudence Beidler, she admires her opponent for mayor of Lake Forest. His name is Dr. Randy Tack. When the two Lake Forest mayoral hopefuls served together on the city council, Prudence praised Dr. Randy's utter commitment to the community. She said he taught her to keep an open mind, how to look at things from a different point of view. Now, she said, it's time for Dr. Randy to go can't support him, uh, even though he uh, secured the endorsement of the, the coveted endorsement of the Lake Forest Caucus in the fall. And it's not because she doesn't think that Dr. Randy would continue to do the good job that she says he's done. No. What's the reason, then? He's a dude. Oh, the old gender card. We need more ladies. Is that she, what you she told the uh, Lake Forester, which is owned by the Tribune, so, you know, insert your fake news uh, antennae here. Uh, I think there are real benefits that women bring. I happen to be a female, but I wouldn't say that's my only qualification. It's just the qualification she wants you to focus on for mayor. She hasn't offered up any policies that distinguish herself from Dr. Randy. She isn't disagreeing with Dr. Randy's policy vision for Lake Forest. And she hasn't, uh, she's just instead seeking to rally Lake Forest women as a voting block to reject Dr. Randy because Dr. Randy is a dude. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. I think it's important for the city to have me a woman this time. I don't know if I'm a consensus builder just because I'm a woman or that it's just my style. Yeah. What do you think? What do you uh, think? Let's vote. If it's a choice between a man and a woman, and I don't know much about either of them, or there's nothing that distinguishes the two, you know, they share the same policy views. Should we just default to the woman? I don't like her approach, I can tell you that much. But you said you've worked with male candidates and female candidates, and the female candidates do a good job, right? Uh, some of them do. I mean, yeah. I mean, people I've worked with, the people I, there are people, there are men I've worked with who I agree with more than some of the women I've worked with and for mm -hmm. as candidates. And uh, the women were uh, easier to deal with, I'd say that. But that's also anecdotal experience. This is a larger point. This is the this is of the cliche that if only women ruled the world, there'd be no war. And then you actually look at the women heads of states and how many of them have taken their countries to war. Exactly. But anyway, I, yeah. I digress. That's the the point is we're still in this because well, still we've actually I don't know doubled uh, we we we've, we've advanced this by some exponent. This I, in the identitarian era, that we just need more women in office. We just need more people of color in office. And things will be better. Are they? Including for their constituencies. We used to have this conversation often with uh, Professor Walter Williams, the econ professor at George Mason University, who has uh, since passed, one of the great economists of the last 50 years. 
uh, and a, a black man, for those not familiar with his work, you should be familiar with his work, and your kids should be familiar with his work. Um, but um, he would say, you know, you look around, you compare uh, the late 60s in terms of the number of black Americans in public office to today, yeah. and the number of black Americans in public office is vastly increased. Has the situation for black Americans vastly increased? Well, across, across a, a wide range of measures in terms of uh, economic power, in terms of educational attainment, no. Not at all. No. So um, is it going to be any different with uh, Prudence in Lake Forest than it is with Dr. Randy? There's no disagreement here. And the larger point is there's no disagreement. This isn't like one is uh, has this vision and the other. No. They have the same. She, she is saying, she is saying, vote for me because I'm a woman and it's time we have. I mean, this is very much like uh, Hillary Clinton's. Uh, articulation in a yep. Democrat primary. It's time we had a woman. It's just time for a it's woman. It doesn't matter. Well, let's look at the, I mean, what? who cares about gender? Why even bring it up? But I guess because, she has nothing else. Because it's a play. So the yeah. question is, if, if the choice is between a man and a woman, and you either know nothing about him, or you know everything about him, and you can't distinguish between the two because they share policy views and professional achievement and educational team, sort of like a college application, who do you choose? Right. Do you vote just based on gender because you're a woman? Because that's the value proposition that Prudence is offering. I'm yeah. a woman. It's time for a woman. It doesn't matter how good the incumbent dude has done. It's just time for a woman. Well, we got a text message. Dan and Amy, is she hot? <laughs> She's uh, 76 years old. Oh. <laughs> so. I'm just but, reading the text message. Great question. That's Dr. Good. Randy is yes. 64 years old, okay. also not hot. <laughs> they're, e they're equally not hot. So they're, again, do you vote for the woman or the man? That's a good question. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. There's a lot more women in public office in Illinois than there were oh, yeah. a few generations ago. I mean, every our mayor, Has, our Cook County president... Uh, yeah. Cook County State's Attorney, female. Isn't it Susana going well? Susana Mendoza, everybody's, yeah, a lot of females. It's going well, right? Go oh, it, things are working out great. As you've seen more women attain a public office, including executive positions in public office, the state of Illinois has vastly improved across all of the quality of life metrics that are important to you. Is that right? Uh, schools, a lot more female. I mean, even not just uh, in the elective positions, but school board members, superintendents. The quality of K through 12 education has improved. Our CTU and I'm not, president, she's a female too. Yeah. And I'm not saying, and I'm not. This is not to imply the the converse either. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that the political culture is what matters, not your non-behavioral identitarian characteristics, not your intersectional score. There are. Uh, terrible women politicians in this state who've been party to destroying it, and terrible men. There are terrible honkies, and there are terrible blacks and Latinos and Asians and everybody else. It's been a concerted effort across every possible demographic to destroy this state, even as those quote-unquote underrepresented populations from a bygone era are now more represented and in some cases overrepresented. But you still want to play this game. And by the way, 
I understand why somebody like Prudence would play it, because identitarianism works in unenlightened states like Illinois and in unenlightened suburbs. I'm not going to accuse like Forrest of being one because this election hasn't been held. Um, but uh, there are many other examples of unenlightened suburbs with, quote unquote, highly educated populations. Got another text message. And if you don't vote for me, you're a misogynist. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. There you go. That's a good, that could help her uh, sure. <coughs> and, campaign. And, excuse me. And, and because there are so many P-hat men, mm-hmm. male impersonators oh, right. in these suburbs, you know, to be called a name. Well, that just descends a lot of these men's these men into puddles of tears. So, yeah, she's got a twofer there. Vote for me for a woman. That's the carrot. And if you don't vote for me, here's the stick. You're a misogynist and you should be shunned from civil society. Uh, Melinda in Oak Forest. Hi, Dan and Amy. Um, I just wanted to mention that any woman running for office should be asked to define what a woman is. Very good. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's right. Just, I thought, what about pronouns? We're not supposed to talk about gender. Well, does anybody really know? Obviously, we have uh, uh, KBJ, Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. She doesn't know what a woman is. So how are, you know, Lake Forest simpletons to be able to distinguish Dr. Randy from Prudence? Nobody knows what a woman is, except Prudence, apparently. Uh, Oh, Michelle in Lake Forest. You're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hello. Hi, Michelle. Oh, Michelle, yes. I thought you said Joe. I'm actually sit on the caucus, and this has been a huge disruption to an 88-year-old institution. I personally didn't vote for Prudence. And I didn't know her or Randy Tack from Adam. She didn't interview well. So it had nothing to do with her gender. And she's on a mission to destroy an 88-year-old institution that has been in place in Lake Forest for that long. Just what, Just Can I just follow up with a question, Michelle? Sure. Uh, why do you hate women? I guess I hate myself. Yeah, yeah stop yeah. beating yourself All right, up. all right. Thanks yeah. for the call. Yeah, Michelle. thanks for the insight. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a woman's prerogative to uh, change her mind about uh, a caucus structure. She wants what she wants. And she's Isn't it about it. time in this country a woman can express their ambition? Uh, uh, wh- why am I the only feminist here? Uh, what, Amy, If uh, uh, answer yes, the question. Sir. Yes, yes. Do- if you didn't know anything about Dr. Randy and Prudence, which you didn't, and neither did I until this, till we started this conversation. I wouldn't vote for her. I don't like her name. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Perfect. I'm being completely honest. I like Randy better than Prudence. Randy's much better than Prudence, yes. Uh, ironically, uh, uh-huh. Prudence is exercising imprudence. She's being imprudent. <laughs> oh, see what you Isn't do. she? Uh-huh. Hmm. Lots of phone calls here. Uh, yeah, but it's just uh, just these all these women hating men like uh, Jay on the north side. <laughs> hey, Jay. Good morning. Morning. How are you doing? Good. Prudence feel, or Randy? Uh, Dr. Randy, to you. Well, I, I just feel people for the over the past decade have been voting for the wrong reasons. They're they're voting emotional and this whole gender thing. It's out of control. I've always looked at the position like a job, and I feel that people need to look at their qualifications and their policies and vote strictly on that, not what they look like, what their skin color is, what, what their about age their names? Or... What about their names? You no, know, not... First name. I, you know what? It, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I, I was raised that, you know, even if you uh, 
don't like the person, respect the position. And I mean, I just think people are just too emotional again in the past decade and they're voting for the wrong reasons. They're voting for somebody because they're young. They're voting for somebody because of their, their ethnicity and stuff like that. I'm like, that just, it's, it's wrong. They need to look specifically at their qualifications and their policies and their histories and vote for those people on those reasons and those reasons only. Thanks for the call, Jay. See, that's the problem. You have men like Jay who, you know, just got chipped out of an iceberg and uh, talking about, you know, merit and assessing people based on their their character or their skill sets or their policy decisions. I mean, we can't can't go back to that bad old time, can we? Prudence. Who wants a mayor of prudence? Dr. Randy, he's a cisgendered honky. Hmm. Maybe no mayor in Lake Forest. George in Naperville. Uh, what type of footwear do they possess? Because women's legs look real sexy in high heels. Hmm. Yeah, I've noticed. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's a great question. Very maybe you question. should go. When the plague of women vipers has their debate, maybe you could go to that and ask that question. Thanks for the call, George. Uh, right. Maybe Dr. Andy will be asked, you know, how bad do you want it? Are you willing to don some pumps? What about identifying or changing your pronouns? Hmm? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That might help. Uh, Rick in Downers Grove. Hey, good morning. Hey, I, I talked to Dennis Prager once, and this was about COVID, but I think it applies to this, where you have all these college-educated people in these areas doing these crazy things. And I mentioned to him, I said, the more college-educated people a society has, the weaker, more feeble, and easily brainwashed that society becomes. And he agreed 100% with that. Because all you got to, you know, these people are all doing these crazy, stupid things and supposedly they're educated. Yeah, thanks for, the, thanks for the call. Well, I mean, that's certainly the story of the North Shore generally. I'm not including Lake Forest necessarily. And again, again Lake Forest's caucus endorsed Dr. Randy, so they didn't buy this vote for me or support me because I'm a woman deal. So that's worth noting. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's the old saw that um, the, the, an idea so dumb only a professor could believe it. And, um, you know, and that's what you have a lot in these uh, wealthy, educated areas is you have a lot of people that are brainwashed to some extent. That's part of it. I think the bigger part of it is they're just huge cowards. They just have stuff they want to protect and they just want to go along with what, whatever is popular. They don't want to rock the boat because they don't want to be targeted by these neo-Jacobin mobs. And so they just go along with all sorts of things that they actually know are insane but they do it anyway because they're cowards and by the way um that's not a legitimate excuse that's not a compelling rationale well we got another juvenile text message my guess is that prudence has cankles i think dr randy might though too i don't know he i mean i only see headshots and you know they both are in you know professional suits nice like professional headshots from lake forest they're not going to wear leisure wear or active wear hmm yeah, Beneath maybe. It, yeah, it's not right. I mean, it's not like Hinsdale where the oh. where the men wear leggings too. Oh yeah, God, it's so so bad. Stop. Uh, Those are for us only. Please don't wear them. Please stop, men. Please stop carrying around your yoga mats. Just please. That, that, what it's, God, it's so I, embarrassing. I, oh, I I, I want to apologize. It's it's not leggings because those are for women, but meggings <laughs> are specifically made for men. 
Hmm. When did they start making Lululemon for men? <sighs> I wear Lululemon oh, golf you do. pants. Oh, actually, I actually, the golf right. pants are for men, and they're very comfortable. They're, they're oh, like okay. they're quality golf pants. All right, good. And you can have them forever, I bet. And I also don't have cankles. <laughs> Bill in Cape Coral. You know, I just hope this case doesn't go to the Supreme Court because the again of. Uh, the justices don't even know the definition of a woman. How are yes. they going to decide this case? Yes, exactly. Well, uh, we'll have to leave it to the voters of Lake Forest. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, uh, continuing our discussion about identitarianism uh, in a more serious way than the Lake Forest mayor's race. We talk a bit about uh, the uh, trans identitarianism as a social contagion, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that. But the social contagion is not limited to the kids. Let me give you an example of this. Listen to uh, this mom courtesy of libs of TikTok, talking about the uh, identity of her kid and the row she is in with the school over the school's unwillingness to comply with her imposed identity on her kid, if you will. The school district bounce nightmare. I go to enroll my child and my kiddo is standing right there. I hand them the birth certificate and I say, see right here, this is his sex. He is a boy. He goes by he, him. I had no issues at his past school, and I don't expect to have any issues here. And I swear, it was like Karen, the transphobic secretary, was just waiting on us that day. She said she wouldn't put my child in the school system as his name because it has to match a birth certificate. But again, had no issues at the last school. I told her I absolutely would not enroll my child as a female. And she said, you will and you are. She enrolled my child as a female, then sent mail to my house with my child's dead name on it. At this point, my child is supposed to start school on Monday and is enrolled in the system as a female. Every single teacher in the school knew about my child. And the students were told a little girl was coming to class. This is a visual representation of my mood. Like and follow for part three. And she held up a monkey doll, the monkey doll with the symbols, like the angry face. Um, I don't know if her uh, daughter is suffering from gender dysphoria or she's the victim of some sort of Munchausen by proxy. Glad that's not my mom. Uh, Chloe Cole, one more example. Oh, yeah. Chloe Cole is uh, somebody we've reported on before, this uh, mm-hmm. young woman who transitioned and then detransitioned and has become an outspoken advocate for detransitioning and for... Um, kids who are gender confused to not be led down a primrose path by doctors and uh, others with less than their best interests at heart. She uh, sat down for an interview with uh, Canadian psychiatrist Jordan Peterson and talked a little bit about where she is physically since her detransition. Pretty tough stuff. Take a listen. I'll never have my breast back. A reconstruction will do nothing for me and it might make things worse actually because I'm 
I've, I've had some complications pop up this year with the graphs. They, I have to cover them up, them up with bandages or else they, they'll... I don't know what's going on with them. I tried to consult my surgeon about it and he didn't really, didn't really, didn't really investigate. He gave me advice that made my, the complications worse even and actually temporarily gave me an infection, but I have to wear, I have to bandage up every day so that it doesn't like leak all over my clothing or bedding. And Jesus, from the, from the, the hormones and blockers, um, I've been experiencing some joint pains, mainly in my my arms, my legs, and my back. And uh, yep. I I still have issues with my my urinary tract. I have to use the, re- the restroom pretty frequently, and I didn't even know that this was possible. This is like a pretty huge quality of life issue that I'm experiencing, and I'm just I'm just not really getting any help for it. And on top of that, I'm. I do. I do hate to speak about it, but I'm experiencing sexual dysfunction at the age of eighteen. That's something that women usually go through when when they're in their forties to fifties. Right. Right. How was I supposed to know? How was I supposed to know? For more on this, please to be joined by our friend Lionel Shriver, contributor to The Spectator, best-selling author of We Need to Talk About Kevin, which was made into a good movie, and, most, and uh, more recently, Abomination, selected essays from A Career of Courting Self-Destruction. Lionel Shriver, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's nice to talk to you again. Good to talk to you. Um, you uh, wrote a column recently, How We Created a Self-Hating Generation, that in part speaks to this um, identitarianism that we're discussing and uh, wanted to get your reaction to, for example, what you heard from Chloe Cole. Well, I'm afraid that the ideologies that we're inflicting on um, children and adolescents these days uh, – are are a collective cruelty. Um, the uh, not only are we tempting um, them to uh, undertake uh, surgery and and hormone treatments that are not uh, reversible, as they're often advertised, uh, and and potentially disfiguring their their lives forever. But I think that we are presenting them with a, a, a version of self that is fundamentally what it is like to be a human being and grow up as a human being that, that is ugly and deterministic and reductive. Um, identity politics tells them that um, all that really matters about them is that their, is their race and their uh, sexual orientation um, and the transgender movement tells them that um, only they know who they are and that they are already fully formed people um, when they're born and that their only job is to tell us uh, 
what they are. And I I think this is unkind because the truth is what I remember from being a young child is a, a kind of formlessness and openness and uncertainty you know when at that age you're trying to figure things out and the last thing you need to be told is that only know only you know who you are and you have to tell us it's a terrible burden um and i i think both these movements uh are are deterministic and they're basically saying that you have no control over who you are and i would contrast that to the version of identity that i grew up with which was it was something that you formed character was built and over the years you learn you you not just you didn't just learn who you were it wasn't just a discovery process but it was an active process of deciding who you wanted to be and therefore going out and achieving that um i wanted to be a writer and i achieved that and it was hard and the fact it was hard was one of the things that made it so gratifying when i started being able to publish my work um i like the idea of identity as not only not defined by race and sexual orientation but also as something that is active throughout your life that it's a project and it's a project that is never finished and i don't expect to be exactly the same person in another 10 or 20 years any more than i feel as if i'm exactly the same person than i was 10 or 20 years ago we change and it's exciting and interesting and it's something that over which you exert influence now i would certainly grant that there are that we are all have a certain essential nature when we're born we don't have total control uh I I used the example of you know I was good at math until I hit second year calculus <laughs> I <laughs> could get time. anywhere um and and um so I would never have made a nuclear physicist there are a whole range of science based futures that were closed off to me um but beyond that I was able to develop the skills that that were innate and and to you know to undertake self improvement and uh- We've you, just abandoned that entire language. You, uh, you write. I love this phrase from your piece uh, about uh, the cultural mavens. Their sole mission is to tell us what those selves are already are with respect to kids. Self is a prefabricated house to which only its owner has a key. And um, and so contrast that a little bit more. Not so much necessarily with professional development because professional development flows from character development. And that character building yes. process that uh, kids undergo through school and parenting and interactions with their friends and life experience. Yes, falling in love, um, making commitments to other people, getting married, um, going through misery. Even yes. uh, we used to find adversity uh, character building. You know we. The army used to advertise itself as uh, character building, that, yes, it was going to be difficult. Yes, it could at times be unpleasant. But on the other side, you would come out a fuller and stronger human being. And I I worry that in this more 
deterministic model of what it means to be a person, that we're stunting people and we're also depressing them. Because I think young people told that, you know, they just have to look inside and, and in their prefabricated house, look around and tell us what the, what the layout is. And, 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 and we're they, only... they look inside and they don't find much. It, of course they don't. They're young. Nothing has happened to them yet. They haven't made any major life decisions. Why and, would they know who they are? And adults and the are... expect, expectation that, we, that they have to know already everything about themselves, and they are, are already fully formed what they are, and they look inside themselves, and there isn't much there, and they get depressed, and they get anxious that there's something wrong with them. And then the adults are here. We're, here, we're told that we're here as adults only to affirm whatever they come up with rather than to inform what they are thinking with some of our own judgments that are tempered through life experience and that same character building. Yes, which is a total abdication of responsibility. I mean, adults no longer act like adults anymore. They subjugate themselves to children and just want to, want to please the kids. Uh, it, and that's, that is not kind. You, know, you, you need to offer, it sounds old-fashioned, but we could stand a little more old-fashioned. We need to offer young people guidance mm -hmm. and tell them more about the world and give them options, explain what some of the consequences are to, with different choices, but simply throwing people, throwing people who don't know anything about the world onto that world with, with no indication of what's right and what's wrong, that's, that's mean. I think it's actually mean. Um, you, uh, you're right, too, uh, to, to this point. Um, I prefer to spend time with me in the present than with me at 35. I know more. My sense of humor is sharper. I'd rather, uh, and rather to my surprise, I'm humbler. You know, because you develop more perspective the more that you go through. And and so why would you deprive your kid of that? I mean, it's just the, the it's amazing to me uh, that political pressure, uh, the the political pressure of a political party you affiliate with, for example, can lead so many to abandon so much that they could otherwise be conferring to their kids. Well, I think we're going through a very grim political time, and for once I'm not talking about the divisions between Democrats and Republicans. Um, I, I think that we are busy trying to not pass any judgment anymore, and that means that there is no moral order. And this, the destigmatization of everything from prostitution to obesity is not necessarily a good thing you know uh, yes being stigmatized is not a pleasant experience but there's a reason that there these things are have been traditionally stigmatized stigma is uh, is really gentle manipulation if you will um yes you can you can have uh, a child out of wedlock it's not illegal but we're not going to think well of you of course we're way beyond that um, but uh, I think that parents in particular, as well as the larger society, ironically has to get more judgmental. 
um, and and to say, you know what, if you weigh 400 pounds, um, you are you, you, your health is going to be impaired, and you're probably not going to be as happy as if you weighed half that. Um, and but instead, we we have embraced an anything goes thing that clearly is derived from my. My own upbringing, you know, the, I grew up during the 60s and early 70s, and, you know, there, there was a whole movement to, toward permissiveness. And I think that permissiveness is now completely out of control. So it's, my, my generation is, is responsible for initiating it. We have a nihilism problem. You know, there have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, to, to the, to, and, you know, and then your, your, you know, it cannibalizes itself. So we were talking about this earlier this week. On the one hand, you have leftists saying to uh, criticize somebody for being fat is racist because um, black and specifically targets black women because of their uh, their physiognomy and so on and so forth. So that's racist. On the other hand, we have the American Academy of Pediatrics recommending that fat kids that are pre-diabetic uh, get on medication at 12 and have uh, the lap band surgery at 13. Yeah, well, we are we are denying the reality of personal personal responsibility, um, and then when we have to live with the consequences of absence of personal responsibility, our answer is is medication. It, you know you. Um, it's it's not revising the uh, the behavior. Well, All teaching. behavior is okay as long as it, as long as it hails from who you truly are. Right. Well, it's taking the easy way out, not teaching you know self discipline. You know, take the, just take this pill; it'll get better. Get the surgery, and you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's a there's a study out uh, yesterday that um, antidepressants. Uh, work about, uh, you know, have about 15% of the time they have more impact than sugar pills. So sugar pills was the placebo. Antidepressants is this, you know, the the pharma solution to feeling uh, blue. And yet the incremental effectiveness is, you know, 15%. I think the effect is hugely uh, one of, of the placebo. Yeah. And well, right, but precisely. And so, I mean, do you see any um, any bright spots in terms of uh, recognition in circles that um, we need to go back to the character building paradigm and get away from this uh, nihilistic paradigm? Um, I don't see. I, I'm not happy on the adult front. At a certain point, I think young people themselves are going to have to get a grip, and uh, you know, I'm I'm a little worried about uh, Gen Z, but maybe the people coming up behind them will uh, reject uh, this whole ideology in the same way that um, generations traditionally do reject uh, whatever was fashionable in their parents' time. Um, I've been discouraged that the uh, identity politics movement seems to have transferred between generations. Um, and that's contrary to the standard model that, you know, adolescents are rebellious and 
and think everything that their parents go on about is rubbish. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, they got a pill for and that I'd rebellion. Like to see, I'd like to see a little more adolescent rebellion uh, because the ideology we're talking about, it seems new, but it isn't. It's been around for quite some time. It's just become more entrenched. She is Lionel we Fudge. need adolescents to start acting like proper teenagers. <laughs> it's kind of a funny way to put it. I like that, though. Yeah. Start being the rebellious teenagers we, you, we used to decry. Exactly. Uh, Lionel Shriver, contributor to The Spectator, best-selling author of We Need to Talk About Kevin, which uh, it was made into a movie featuring Tilda Swinton that you should check out if you haven't. Most recently, the book Abomination, Selected Essays from a Career of Courting Self-Destruction. Lionel Shriver, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. Open mic. Open mic Friday. Call it now. Open mic Friday. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, it is Open Mic Friday. Taking your calls, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Comments, compliments, concerns, General Crack Pottery will take it all. Get to as many calls as we can. So if the lines are busy, which I think they are, please be patient. Uh, Amy, I'll uh, surrender the floor Thank to you. you to offer a eulogy for Lisa Marie. Uh, 54 years old. I mean, I just saw her at the uh, Golden Globes when Austin Butler won for his performance in Elvis, which was a great movie, and I know you saw it as well. Yeah, very good. And I'm just heartbroken. She's 54 years old, her poor mother. And she apparently she woke up, <clears throat> her stomach was hurting. And after her ex-husband came home from dropping the kids off at school, he was, she was in the closet, and she had, she had a sudden cardiac arrest. Well, she felt ill at the Golden Globes. The reports go. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's I, the king's I, daughter. Yeah, only daughter, which is also interesting. So but uh, um, the uh, fifty-four, yeah, uh, that's young. She's sort of a she's sort of a wreck, though, wasn't she in her life? I mean, I don't. She I'm was not... addicted to drugs. She went to rehab five times. Um, she uh, married Michael Jackson. Uh, there's no woman in their right mind who marries Michael Jackson. She was friends with him since she was seven years old. Remember, she was nine when her dad died. And... So what? I think it's worse that she married Nicolas Cage. Mm. Nicholas Cage loved Elvis so much that he married the best thing, his only daughter. Um, you see that documentary about Michael Jackson, and you want to say yeah, that no, marrying Nick Cage was worse? I don't okay. think so. All right, you're right. But here's one of her songs. Can I play this for you? Because she's talented. Okay, she was a yeah. musician and a songwriter in her own right. Help shine. bad huh a little auto-tune maybe yeah. to help it along um i was um i had to chuckle at the wall street journal obituary which uh what? recounted that she recorded uh, two or three studio albums yeah that had some success but uh the wall street journal reporting but her success was overshadowed by her famous father oh really, really? <laughs> oh, was it you don't was say <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's it's sad. It's a sad thing. But I think she's a good example of how poisonous fame is, particularly if you're famous from the day you're born. And uh, I just don't think that fame served her well. Yeah. And we'll but, find out, you know, people are wondering, was she vaccinated and all that? 
Because uh-huh. I know we had Bob Snyder on from Jenny's Mission yesterday. 400,000 people a year just die from sudden cardiac arrest. But I feel like more and more deaths are happening. Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know that this was a healthy 54-year-old as contrasted from, like, very healthy, in-shape 21-year-olds who, or, or Bob Snyder's daughter who died on a soccer field. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll have to wait to hear more. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a tragic occurrence, but there's some context here. I almost uh, didn't come to work today. <laughs> I was so distraught. I didn't sleep last night. It's awful. What's wrong oh, with me? I, Can you right. tell me? Uh, I'm going to leave that to callers. <laughs> What's wrong with Amy? Uh, Bob Buffalo Grove, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Uh, good morning, Amy and Dan. Thanks for getting to me. Uh, as I missed talking to you early this morning when you were discussing the uh, Biden documents and played that fabulous, that great Hank Johnson oh soundbite. What a moron. And, and he's a congressman. But uh, there's uh, more. Those two, things uh, the are not, those two things are hardly mutually exclusive, <laughs> by the way. But go ahead. Uh, there's more. The ladies of The View oh, I also, have it here. Those aren't ladies. also offered the same thing. I've never seen a, a luckier person than Donald Trump. Just as we're this close well, to getting him, but you somehow know what? these but documents you know appear. Oh, my God. I'd rather listen to Lisa Marie Presley than that cacophony. Good grief. Uh, and then, right. Go ahead, Bob. And then uh, this weekend, uh, I'll be watching Sunday News. I'm just wondering how good old Chucky Toad and Georgie Stephanopoulos and uh, their ba- biased panel discussions uh, we'll spend this. Uh, uh, now I heard a reference to a garage gate. Um, so uh, how are they going to uh, spin this thing? Thanks for the call, Bob. It's very simple. Repeat after me, won't you? Mm-hmm. Joe Biden takes classified information very seriously. The classified information was inadvertently put in places it didn't belong many times. And they have been completely transparent about yeah, said right. classified information. Even though they were discovered in November and then the latest uh, trove of documents were found in December, December 20th. And now we're just learning about it. And they knew about it and they lied about the second set of documents. So I know I many, I know many Corvette Done. owners, including of vintage Corvettes. And I'm sure they will agree that they take care of their vet like it is classified information, like it is America's secret. So if you yeah. put the classified documents with his vet or somebody did, then that is the highest standard of care one can offer for classified documents. That's my defense. As you mentioned earlier, who's got the garage door opener? Mm-hmm. Or openers. Dun, right. dun, dun. Uh, Kevin in Austin, Texas. Yeah, I was curious. A um, couple things. First, I want to thank you for making me look up the Munchausen syndrome. And yeah. I, I remember understanding by what it was. Yeah. Right. And it's just as far as, you know, making things up to get attention. That seems a lot of liberals do. Well, it's 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 Munchausen by proxy is parents uh, hurting their children to get attention, which is the suggestion I made about that ghastly woman talking about her kids pronouns and so forth. But anyway, yeah, instead of preparing her uh, child for the world. And, And one other thing, why are people talking about me? I hear there was a book written about it. Uh, and, and I just don't know what that is. Why are people talking about me? What? Yeah, why are people talking about Kevin? No. Oh. Uh, 
we have to talk about Kevin. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Maybe, well, I, I, maybe by by Lionel Shriver. It's a good book, and, and as I said, it was made into a movie starring <laughs> Tilda Swinton. So yeah, I guess that just didn't go over well. I was told that it would have been funny by your uh, call screener. Anyway, one other thing I want to don't he's trust. Feeding, he's don't, feeding you jokes. Do not trust Quinn's sense of humor. I, he's I said it as a joke, and he said, "Oh, I got to put that in. You got to say that." Yeah. Anyhow. Maybe they're talking about me because we have to get more people on the grassroots level to get involved. I think York Township, last time I saw it, had 28 people who were not precinct captains. To start changing the culture now is for Republicans to, who listen to you, who are tra- uh, fellow travelers, to get involved. And then one, if you can answer the question, what's the state of play with uh, Illinois Republicans? I love your show. I get to listen to Chicago accents while, while I'm down here in Austin, Texas. And I have people telling me that my hard A's are coming out harder when I say absolutely and fantastic. <laughs> Sound like Dennis Franz to those uh, Texans, uh, don't you? <laughs> Thanks for the call, Kevin. Uh, so, yeah, um, well, uh, first of all, Kevin from Austin, Texas, the only resident of Austin, Texas, who has granular knowledge of what's going on in DuPage County Township. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Illinois Republican Party, um, still a legal fiction, does not exist, has no leadership, uh, has no discernible rationale, uh, policy agenda. So I guess it's a wait and see as it's been for, I don't know, 25 years. Uh, Will Skokie. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I find it very interesting that whenever Democrats have issues, like when they want somebody to come in and clean up or something like this, they always hire lawyers to do it. They don't hire like cleanup people. You know, cause you where's know, Wolf when you need him? Yeah. Yeah. The, the problem, the problem that occurred, you know, number one, they can't testify. And number two, um, you know, why, why always lawyers? Why can't they, and do, do the lawyers who actually clean this stuff up, do they have security clearance? So they're looking through documents to see if they're security documents, but yet they don't have security clearance to actually look at the documents. Uh, Very strange. Maybe White some White House counsel may, but uh, okay, yeah, all right. I agree. I I would have called Harvey Keitel too. Uh, Ralph and Rantoul. Good morning, Dan. Earlier you mentioned the poison of fame. I agree. Um, I've worked tirelessly my entire life to avoid fame, <laughs> and so far I've achieved nothing. And nobody knows me. And when I die, I'll leave nothing and be remembered by no one. Uh, you've done well. <laughs> yes. Good and faithful servant. Uh, yes. All right, all right, Ralph. See, that's funny. Yes. Kevin and Austin take some instruction from Ralph. Uh, Dave in Racine, Wisconsin. Greetings. Uh, um, what about well, salutations? Well, with the uh, protest by women athletes at the NAAC or, or not NCAA, yeah, the NCAA meeting. Um, I just thought of this. Uh, if you're, they're going to allow gender dysphoric males to compete against gender dysphoric or, or you know biological females, maybe which I think is de facto cheating. Maybe we shouldn't trust other uh, NCAA events like you know the uh, basketball tournaments or the bowl games, you know, to see if they, they might be fixed. Also, oh, thanks for the call, Dave. Uh, what the, the ladies want their nil money or what? Is that what the is that what they're complaining about now? Title IX wasn't enough. Now they want their NIL money, even though nobody watches women's sports. Is that? Hmm. Uh, nobody. No. 
Nothing? Nobody wants to defend? All right. Eduardo and Midway. Yeah, good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, you were talking about uh, obesity and children early in the week. Uh, they uh, need to go through two years of, uh, like, boot camp. Uh, they need to eat better. They need to eat, well, they need to eat before 630 because I've been hearing about that. And uh, even reading like Reader's Digest, but I know that's kind of like old timers uh, reading, but reading and uh, sleeping by 10 p.m. All those yeah. things, but uh, they're, they're on social media. See, we're from Generation X. We didn't have uh, that. So you're Generation X and you read Reader's Digest. What are you looking for? Casserole recipes? <laughs> What are you, what, oh, what no, are you no, doing? No. <laughs> Eduardo, oh. up your game. Thanks, thanks for the call. Move on. Uh, boy, Reader's Rich, Indian digest. Head Park. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Hi. I think the problem that we have in this country is we no longer vote for the best people in, uh, in politics and in uh, different positions in schools and stuff. I think uh, it's all based now on whether you're a man or a woman whether you're black or white or whether you're uh, gay or straight. I think we need to get back to uh, getting people in positions that are going to help the people uh, in their daily lives and not uh, base it on uh, uh, gender or race or sexuality. I agree. Uh, Thanks for the call, Rich. By the way, um, the Republican Party uh, is not just as, but is also guilty of playing identity politics. And and dysfunctional, vestigial Republican parties like the one in Illinois are some of the worst offenders. And it's the reason they're irrelevant is because what you're going to outleft the left. Um, right. The point here is to provide a contrast, a contrasting vision for your party and thus how that would inform the public policy choices you make and the kind of society we live in. This is sort of a. a, a 101 axiom that seems to evade so many Republican Party officials, particularly in Illinois. Steve Orland Park. Good morning. I've noticed a politician will run for an office, win that office, and partway through their term, run for a different position instead and not fulfill their term in the first office they were voted in for. I, I think this should be unlawful. I'd like to know what your thoughts and feelings are about this. Uh, thanks for the call, Steve. I don't. I wouldn't make it unlawful. Um, you know, you people can freely run for office, but you know, um, maybe what you could do is you have to resign your current office to run for the next because that's a huge advantage for an incumbent, where they don't have to worry about, for example, their salary because they're on salary at the state uh, or, or whatever their position while they're running for another office. And people who come from the private sector have to figure out how they can be a full-time candidate. So you marginalize people that are not independently wealthy from entering the political arena from the outside, advantaging those on the inside. So I wouldn't say you can't. You have to fulfill your term. But I would say that uh, I would be supportive of something that requires, whether it's Ron DeSantis or J.B. Pritzker, you want to run for president? Go ahead. But that's a full-time job. We all know that being a candidate. And so as soon as you go full time as a candidate for an office that's not the one you currently hold, then you resign that office. Mm, Ed in Chicago Heights. Hi. Hey, Ed. Hey, just wondering your NFL wild card weekend picks. I promise I won't feed you like uh, 
Billy Walters might. <laughs> um, well, what do you have, Dan? Uh, is there any upsets in the making? I don't think so. So Dallas over Tampa Bay, that's easy. Uh, Minnesota over Seattle, I think. Uh, uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm fading on the matchups. Uh, who does um, who, who is who? Who are the AFC matchups? San Diego, San Diego could be an upset. Who does San Diego have again? Or LA now? The Chargers? Yeah, it's LA now against the uh, Jaguars and uh, Clemson's uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, that number one QB pick from a, a year ago. I think, uh, but but San Diego's a wild card. The Jags are the division winner, but the Jags, I assume, are going to be the underdog. I, I like the Jags there. Uh, that's probably wow. that's that's my only upset pick. I think I think everything else holds serve, don't you? So you would think San Francisco kills Seattle. Yeah, you think oh, Minnesota. Oh, San Francisco, Seattle, Minnesota, and uh, who does Minnesota have again? Minnesota's playing uh, New York Giants. Yeah, Minnesota beats Minnesota the Giants. Won. Yeah, Minnesota beats the Giants. And yeah. you think uh, Prescott will beat Brady? Well, it's not Prescott versus Brady. It's um, I mean. Tampa Bay can't score, and uh, <laughs> True. Uh, you know, I mean, he just unless unless Mike Evans, uh, unless they can sort of rekindle Mike Evans as a deep threat in that game, I don't see Tampa having a chance against the Cowboys. Even though I hate the Cowboys, so yeah, I think I think I mean, the Jags would be the only upset I'd pick. And you'd say Cincinnati over the Ravens? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati has a good chance to win it all. And what about Buffalo Bill and Miami? Um, Bills, yeah. right? Yeah, Bills. Yeah. I, I think Tua is out, isn't he? Is Tua playing for the Dolphins? No, I, he's out. Yeah, yeah so there's no, they have no chance. So, yeah, I think I, I would say, so those are my picks. The only upside would be the Jags, and I think, I'm going to say it, I think the Bengals win the whole thing. How about that? You think the Bengals wow. are going to win the Super Bowl? Okay. I do. Joe Burrow is going to win. All right, you heard it here first. And and I think, think going, the- like, in the, in the maybe, in, like, down the stretch when there were still a couple of weeks left, I think, like, the Bengals were 8-1. to one. Uh, dog to win, uh, to win, to win the whole thing. And boy, that 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 was attractive to me. If I was still partaking in games of chance like that, I would have put money on that. Well, that's sports investment, and that's what Sean Thompson hates. Sports investment, yes, that's a better way. That's I, I like that better than gambling. Sports investment, yes, very good. All right, Ed, Godspeed <laughs> this weekend. Very good. That laugh of his. Uh, Dawn Naperville. You saw my pet thumb wrong. Anyway, well, thank, so thank you very I, much. The late you're great. welcome. <laughs> so uh, on Tuesday, January 10th, the Advocacy Institute came out with their state-by-state graduation rates for students with disabilities for school year 2019 and 2020. So when I looked it up and I went to go look for Illinois, the information was blank. There was no data to report at all. So when I questioned the individual who posted the report, her reply was the data was suppressed due to concerns with data quality. <laughs> so <laughs> I have another uh, email out there to uh, clarify, you know, like what they're, you know, how they're determining that. But I thought that might be an interesting article for WirePoints or ProPublica to look into as to how, because the reporting is mandated by ESSA. So, yeah. How you know what I think, you know what I think is going on there? You have, what? Illinois high school grads that are in charge of the data collection, and there—that's the <laughs> okay. Dawn and uh, Maple. Thank you, Chuck and Delavan, to close Chuck. it out. Hey, I, I am completely uh, upset 
about this whole thing with Dr. Jill. She, her civil rights, 14th Amendment, was violated. Uh, you cannot deny a person within his jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. She did not have her underpants drawer going into. Amy has complained to me about talking about Melania's underpants drawer, but I have to bring it back up. Fair is fair. When is the they FBI going to go in? Room. They went through Barron's yeah. room, too. No, that's yeah, well, true. they're not going to go through Hunter's room, but I'm, I'm, no. I'm very distraught about this whole thing. The 14 of month, it's been violated. I want to get the FBI on this right now. That's a great point, Ed. Uh, that's a great point that Jill Biden's underwear drawer should be rifled through as well. Uh, very good point. Yeah, fair is fair. Very good. All right. That's a wrap. You've made the switch, and it feels so good. You've switched to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.